It's the Super Givers Podcast, this week with special guest Leanne Mallet, a lifelong environmental activist whose TEDx talk on the new activism is speaking to a generation of folks trying to find a way to influence change in the world. In this interview, Leanne also sheds light on what it's like to be a parent and entrepreneur while also remaining an activist. I'm really excited to dive into learning about your definition of the new activism, if you're willing to start there. Well, absolutely. One of the ways that I came to this idea of wanting to redefine activism is that I started my so-called activist career, that conventional view we have of activism, as um, in the HIV and AIDS movement and also in the environmental movement as a direct action wilderness activist. So I was one of those people that was out doing protests and sitting in trees and getting arrested. And I realized as time went on, and I, I lived in that space for about 10 years, that while I felt that I was on the front lines and was really making a mark, and there was impact to that particular tool, for a lot of people, people would come up to me and say, oh, thank you so much for doing that. Um, I, you know, the world needs you. I could mm-hmm. never do that. And I thought that that is not what I'm trying to accomplish here. I want to be able to speak up on these issues and have my voice heard. And I want more people to join me. I don't want them to see it's something that's not accessible to them. And so as I moved through this um, activist journey of mine, I started, I started out as well as a high school teacher. And I began to bring in these ideas of education and these ideas of community building and when I became executive director of a local organization called EcoSource, it really was not at all about direct action. It was about reaching out to regular people living in a suburban community and figuring out how to get across important environmental actions and important community actions to them. And we had a philosophy of meeting people where they were at. And so that meant um, if people were just figuring out how to use the recycling box, then that's where we worked with them. And if people really thought that it was out there to um, to grow, a, you know, to be part of a community garden, then that's where we were bringing them. And what I realized as I saw people engaging at different entry points to what I defined as activism, I began to realize that all of us are activists. And all so few of us, I think, right now realize the power that we have. Because we are changing the world every day by our decisions, whether it's um, what we buy, how we choose to travel. And I think, and I've talked about this before, is just this idea, this deep idea of the radical activism of parenting. These these are these daily activities that we think of as, as so ordinary, and they're so incredibly powerful. So for me, that was really where I started to think, I need to redefine this activist definition so people aren't always thinking about somebody dropping banners or marching through the street, but they, um, they're able to shift their perspective and say, hey, that's me. And I think that is where uh, we really need to be right now, particularly with the world is uh, as it is, because we're just at it. You know, all of us feel that we're at some kind of tipping point or this shifting point. And the more that I think people 
feel mobilized. And the more that people feel connected and able to have conversations and messy conversations, be able to disagree and yet disagree respectfully, that's where we need to be in order to be able to move forward. Yeah. And what are you seeing so far in terms of the mechanisms that are helping helping more and more people embrace the, the their own power as potential activists? Well, I think one of the first things is realizing that it can be really easy. And um, and I know for, for some of my friends in the activist community, there's this resistance to the idea of making it easy for people. Like we have to, you know, people have to realize there has to be a big change. But to me, if people begin to realize that their smallest actions are making a massive difference in the world, then they can build on that. So when um, I was, um, I did uh, my TEDx talk on redefining a new definition of activism. And one of uh, my neighbors right across the street, who's a great person, a teacher, and has really never seen himself as an activist, um, was out uh, in his yard a couple of days after I got home. And he said, I just raked the leaves of the people next door because now I'm an activist. And I thought that that's, that is what I'm really interested in. I'm interested in people having that inner perspective shift to realize that the daily actions that they're doing, the things that they can do to be kinder, the things that they can do to reach out to others um, are really making a difference. Because I think that once you start to realize that, then you can't help but go on to address what we consider um, bigger issues or, or to go on and do more of those small things. Yeah. And I think what I hear from what you're saying is that this is also speaking to um like a tipping point of motivation. And I know when I listen to your talk, there's there's a chance for me to reframe similar actions that I might do every day. But if I can connect with a point of activism, if I can put that framework on it, all of a sudden it takes more meaning and then my motivation goes up. Have you seen that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think that um, even for me personally, when when I became a mom, I had my kids when I was 42 and 44. I'm one of those midlife moms. And before that, um, before I turned 40, I really had my idea that I was I was committed to the movement. I was working on environmental issues and social justice, and that was what I was going to do with my life. And when I decided that I wanted to commit myself uh, to a family with my husband, then um, what I felt like is that um, I had stepped out of my activism that I had set it aside because I decided to uh, leave my work as an executive director of my charity so that I could um, work on my own and be more available to my kids. And I felt like I had left that activism behind. And that was a huge crisis for me because I had identified as, you know, an activist or community activist for over 20 years. And it took that shift for me to, to add that redefinition to realize that I am doing some of the most important activism of my life right now. I am raising my children. I am taking the time. I have the fortune and the ability to be able to be available to them and to spend time with them, which is not a privilege that everyone has. And so that is part of my ability to express my activism is to be able to share that with my kids and be able to, to the extent that we're able to um, influence our children. 
Mm-hmm. Um, to to really give them that sense of where I come from and where they come from in our family, that idea of being responsible for others, responsible for the planet, responsible for being kind and uh, and generous. And so it for me, it was that small shift that really did change everything because I had not, by stepping out of the nonprofit world, left my activism. I had just, I was just doing it differently. And I think for people who are on the other end of the experience, who would never see themselves as activists, who think of activists as people, you know, marching through the streets, yelling, or, you know, doing something really out there for them. It's them seeing that these simple actions that they are already doing have this enormous power. And then as they see themselves as, you know, that daily activist, then that shift for them is realizing how much they can influence and how much they can do. And I think one of the big issues we have right now is people don't feel like they matter. There is, you know, a profound disconnection in a lot of our culture. And it leads to things like people being um, disaffected with the democratic process and feeling like, you know, not wanting to bother voting and not want and feeling disconnected from their community. And I think that overcoming that is one of our biggest challenges. And the easiest way to do that is to pe- for people to realize that going back into, into their backyard and connecting with one of their neighbors is an expression of their activism. It's these simple things that they can do and they're things that also end up making them feel better as well. Because that's you want a, you want a positive feedback mechanism. And I think one of the important things as, as well is just this idea that we need to be looking at solutions. We cannot just be barraging people with information on what's going wrong. We have to be able to have really simple, beautiful solutions that inspire people to do more. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling we were we were yeah. going to get along very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what I really appreciate is that it's it's so much about reframing somebody's self concept more than yeah. more than anything, or at least as a starting point, right? Well, and it's so easy because I think that um, I'm I when when I was doing you know what we call direct action, so. Um, we would, you know, climb a building and drop a banner or, you know, I was uh, doing forest blockades and getting arrested. People seemed to think that this was, that I had some kind of magical skills that they weren't, you know, just didn't know how to access. And we just, the reason that we decided that the group of people that I worked with to express ourselves on the front lines of the movement at the, in that way is because we felt that we were at a crisis and we we didn't know what else to do because we felt we weren't being heard. And so we just figured it out as we went along. It wasn't that we had gone to some awesome activist school that taught me, mm-hmm. you know, taught us how to climb trees or, or to figure out how to do a press conference. We figured it out as we went along. And that's what we're doing every day. That's what people are doing, right? We are going about our lives to the best of our ability. And uh, when we realize that there are these there's always something that we can figure out to do that makes the world a better place. It doesn't have to be some huge action. It could be something really small. And and small things done daily, 
I think are more powerful than, you know, one big action, you know, a year going to one big event, going to, you know, doing one gigantic thing and then and then not following up with these simple daily actions. I think the simple daily actions are what really feed us moving forward. Okay, so in the spirit of what you're saying, let's get right to solutions and then maybe we'll come back around uh, in a few minutes to sort of looking at some of the problems we're seeing and only only in service to um, giving people a greater context on how they can how they can redefine activism. But I, would, mm-hmm. I, I loved the part in your talk where you spoke about um, a few simple creative ways to essentially like instead of opposing and maybe you can speak to this you you spoke about like the old mindset of activism being very much about being in opposition to something mm-hmm. and i loved how you how you reframe that to being more about actively participating in in the world that you want if hopefully, hopefully yeah. I'm getting that right, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're definitely getting it right. And I think that for a long time, um, my driving energy as a conventional activist was anger. I was I was deeply um, I was deeply connected with people around me and the planet and animals and but and I was really really angry about what was happening and sometimes anger really can be a gift it does mobilize people it gets them out there and it uh, but it's it's um, it's a spark it's not supposed to be your engine hmm. and for me I I. I was burning on anger for a long time. And what I did realize is that it can be exhausting and it it does tend to be against something. And what people are, I I think, for example, a great example is climate change. When I, you know, I've been in the environmental community for 30 years now. And when I talk to people about climate change, I can see them starting to turn off. Because it just feels like such an enormous issue, and if we if we uh, present that in such a way that it's either terrifying, which it can be, or overwhelming, then people don't act; they just disconnect because it's just too much for them to take in. Whereas if if you start looking at um, activism as a daily personal practice and it's a form of connection and it really it really is an expression of of love whether that's loving in your family loving your neighbor in your community but if you express it that way it's also about what can we build here what's the solution we can build or what's the bridge that we can build because one of the challenges we have you know certainly um in the u.s and and worldwide right now is is this almost creation of tribal opinions. If, if, if you talk to somebody who's so-called on the other side, it really breaks down almost immediately right now. And I think the challenge that is there for us, the opportunity, is to figure out how to build bridges, to figure out how to have conversations with people who don't agree with us, and where we can find common ground. And I think that where we're at, whether it's with the planet or politically or how people are treated, we're at a point where we don't get to opt out of those messy conversations. We don't get to opt out of that bridge building. We have to figure out how to have productive conversations with people that don't agree with us. And we have to figure out how to present solutions that people will understand. And that is from from my position within the 
so-called progressive movement. I think that's one of the things that we have missed is presenting solutions that speak to people who are in small towns or whose livelihood right now may depend on a resource industry or who feel left behind by what they see as a really rapidly changing world. And rather than looking at them and feeling like they are, you know, behind or don't understand or uninformed, it's our job to build bridges to create solutions with them. That's that's part of the work. And I think that for me, it was that shift from rather than just, you know, pointing my finger at a company or a government and criticizing them, it's like, what am I suggesting instead? And that's how I, I parent my children. If they get upset with one another, our question is, what are you asking your brother or your sister to do? What What is the solution that you're presenting? And it, it changes things completely. And I think that um, that for, for me was that shift from being really sourced by anger to being um, really more interested in connecting with people and being more curious about what other people had to say. I, I, if you have, to the extent that you have any off the top of your head, are you willing to share any of the the more inspiringly simple solutions that um, have come about or that you've witnessed similar to the raking the par- the neighbor's leaves? I, I think that when I've talked to people, I had a friend who is um, vacationing in some lovely Caribbean island where I'm here up in Canada and minus 10 degrees Celsius <laughs> weather and snow. And she was walking along a beach and she noticed what she initially thought um, were shells and then realized were plastic. And she was furious. Like there is this fury that we have when we see something that we think is defiling nature for example, or is hurting children or hurting people. or And uh, so she she felt this anger at, you know, how is it possible that we're putting all this junk in our oceans? And But then she just got a garbage bag. And she started, she started cleaning up. And it, it was her shift having, you know, we having had, you know, a couple of conversations about this. It's like, okay, I can feel upset about this but then I have to just do something and as she was doing it she was talking to other people and letting them know what she was doing Mm. and so there's this there's this idea that we see a problem and rather than just um, ranting about it part of it is get to work Mm. do something right there's we don't have any more time for complaining Um, we don't have we don't need people to point out (laughs) we've got enough problems everybody can find one quite easily what we need are people who can uh, present solutions. And I think what we need is, um, in particular are people who are willing to set aside this idea of being right and somebody else is being wrong. Mm. We have to be able to uh, be willing to say, okay, what can, what can I do to solve this issue or to, uh, to address it? And then how can, how can I inspire other people to act with me? And sometimes it's as simple as you know, I've I've been cleaning up with the, my kids before. And whenever we're walking in a park, we always carry a bag because if we see garbage, it's not that we point it out and feel bad about it. We pick it up and um, and then we sort it into recycling because we don't just throw it in the garbage. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> but um, we talk to people as we go. We so when we're walking by other people in the park, 
me or my kids, we'll talk to them about what we're doing. So it is this simple idea of not only being able to just do something simple, whether that's, you know, cleaning up when you're in a park or on a beach, or whether that's um, being kind to a neighbor. Uh, Especially, I think one thing that is such a crucial gift for people is helping people who are either struggling in your community or who are parenting and need a break. When you can um, assist somebody in a very simple way and also say to them, you know, this is part of how I do my daily activist practice. It's as easy as coming over and hanging out with you for an hour so you can take a break from your kids. It's as easy as being willing to, um, to speak to somebody in the store rather than be on your phone when you're going through the checkout. Um, those easy, those easy actions along with uh, being willing to converse with others rather than all of us being in our little bubble, those those things are the simple things that make a big difference. So what other misconceptions do you run across in the world of activism and trying to help people be empowered? I, th- I think one of the really conventional um, challenges is that people, as we talked about, see activists as against something or like we're against um you know we're against everybody having cars we're against the idea of of people having living in nice houses we're against the you know we're and rather than and we have to be able to overcome that idea of being against something and again you know being able to frame that what we're what we're presenting as a solution and i think one of the other things is people will see activists and in that kind of conventional form of activism and think, well, there's no talking to them. I, you know, I used to have people who would say to me, well, there's no talking to you because you, you won't listen to me. You won't compromise. And, you know, I, I did start out in a movement which had basically a tagline that was no, com- no compromise in defense of mother earth. And I look back on that now and I think to myself, you know, um, that that was a really lofty goal, and it was really unrealistic, because I live on a planet with billions of other people. There's got to be some compromise. I I don't know everything. I'm not always right. So I think one of those uh, conventional activist things that we need to address is this idea that we won't listen, that we have our position and we're not willing to move from it. And you know, a beautiful example of what used to happen more in the political process was these bipartisan relationships. You know, being able to sit down, um, you know, politicians from really opposite sides of the aisle and come up with solutions. That's what we need more of. We don't need people taking hardline positions and just clinging to them because we can really clearly see that that doesn't work. And I think another thing that's incredibly important is this idea of sitting down and exposing yourself to people who don't think like you, mm-hmm. because it's very easy, you know, particularly whether it's social media or being in communities of people where um, everybody thinks similarly, we can live in an echo chamber of everybody saying, oh, you know, of course, everybody should be taking public transit. And of course, everybody should be vegetarian. And of course, everybody, and not everybody thinks that way. And so I have an intentional practice of ensuring that I have friends and that I 
um, go online and listen to people or read books that are very counter to what I believe. Because I want to be able to understand what other people are thinking and why they're thinking that. Because that makes me more powerful as an influencer, as a leader, if I am willing to understand what people who disagree with me profoundly think, why why they think that way. And that provides that opportunity for bridges. I love this this whole concept you you started on a few minutes ago about dissolving the notion and really somewhat the energy of opposition, not only between forces, um, but also internally as an activist. Like it sounds like even doing doing the inner work is part of it to say, what am I opposing and can I really find a different place to come from because anger is not going to be the engine that sustains this or that people want to contact. And I'll, I'll tell you, when I was, I think, 20 in college, I was really um, stumbling into vegetarianism and getting, you know, in my real ideological self, I was really excited to be part of some sort of movement. And I, I got involved with a animal rights program mm-hmm. in, in Colorado. I joined them on a, oh, it was a, it was a protest at Vail Ski Resort because the resort was planning on expanding its terrain, which into, into a, you know, into an area that would cause a certain species to become extinct. Right. So, so I'm walking with this group in the middle of, you know, Vale Village or whatever it was with, you know, people, people drinking coffee and wearing, you know, fur skinned coats. and, (laughs) And we're like, we're being very loud and abrasive. And gosh, like the looks on their faces were mostly disgust and contempt. And I just remember feeling so uncomfortable and something didn't resonate about it. And, yeah. And I didn't end up doing it again. Well, and I think that, you know, I I was in both the animal rights movement and the direct action wilderness movement. And for me, at that time, it was really easy to feel like I was on the, the side of truth and justice. And these people that I was, uh, you know, doing an action against or protesting, they were the bad guys. And it was a very simple way. It was a really nice, simple way of looking at the world. And uh, so, you know, to be able to, um, you know, go and criticize a logging company that was logging in old growth or to be able to, uh, you know, protest somebody that, um, you know, there used to be actions where people would shame people on the street for wearing fur. And uh, th- those are like those are mechanisms for action, and th- and people still still do those things. And for example, in terms of uh, protesting corporations that are doing environmental damage, I I still believe that that's a tool in the toolbox. But I feel like the um this idea that everything is black and white is is right and wrong is just not true. It is, and when um, when you sit down with people who um, you have perceived as being on the other side, you begin to realize that there's whether you want to acknowledge it or not. There's a common humanity amongst all of us, and um, people have um, people. There, there is a very generous way of thinking that people are doing the best they can within the framework of, of where they've come from and what they've learned. And um, it is unlikely to change their minds through screaming at them. 
Now, you know, every now and then there's a, you know, a big action that takes place and there'll be somebody in that space who goes, oh my God, I'd never thought of that before. Mm-hmm. I, I remember going and protesting a dolphin show at the local um, entertainment, like Canada's Wonderland, this big, um, this big kids place for roller coasters and, and the, in, right smack in the middle of it, they had this bizarre little pool with a, with dolphins and uh you know a group of us went in and held up a big banner and stopped the show and it was amazing that a few families just came up and said oh you know what like i i i would be so glad if they took this out of here i really hadn't thought about it and it's terrible and it was a really confrontational action but what we did after is we sat and talked to people we explained to them why they were there we didn't just scream at them for being there We explained why we took the action we did. And I think that um, as as we um, as we learn and expand as as people and as activists, um, we realize that most of this stuff is really gray. It's really challenging and messy. This world we're in is not simple. And so thinking that solutions are either are based on, you know, um, the good guys and bad guys is just not realistic. And that is where you will also what people will how people will respond if it's a confrontational or a shaming type of of uh, protest oftentimes is immediately um, turning back on the other people and finding whatever discrepancies going on. So, for example, at a vegetarian protest, people will immediately be looking at people's shoes to see if they're wearing leather. You know, it, it's there's always something where they fight back with the way that you're not in alignment with your beliefs. So none of that is productive to me anyway. I think that there is a time and a place for uh, raising the alarm. And, and there's still very important moments where that is, is necessary. And then when that alarm has been raised, we have to move on to the conversation piece and the solutions piece. It can't just be the, the raising the alarm piece. If somebody's listening and, you know, they're like so many people, like you've said, especially in the U.S., I, I can imagine, are feeling a level of hopelessness and isolation and overwhelm. Where would you suggest they start? I would suggest they start with um, looking and even taking a few minutes and just jotting down or thinking about the things that they do every day that already have impact. Um, so whether that's that they call their mom, whether 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 they're um, they're um, they are volunteers, whether they help um, the aging neighbor that lives uh, next to them, um, if if they've been kind to their kids that day, if they've been patient, if they've um, helped somebody who had car trouble, whatever it is, to look at those things that they're doing that are simple and giving themselves the credit for that. Because I think for, for most of us, whether we do something big or small that is positive, as soon as we've achieved it, we think, next. We don't, we don't give ourselves um, that kind of credit of doing something positive. We just immediately move on to the next thing. So it's really creating a foundation of being aware of the impact that we have in the world and, and the efforts we're making to create positive change. And then it's really looking and saying, you know, what, what are the next baby steps that I can take 
to to make a difference. Uh, can can I think about um, getting to know my neighbors? I I have a a friend, and she and her husband moved from urban Toronto to the countryside in uh, Quebec because they wanted to uh, start farming. They started an organic farm, and they realized that they didn't know anyone and the farms were miles apart. So they got, they got a bunch of, they made a bunch of baked goods and they drove to everybody that lived within about a 20 mile radius and they introduced themselves. Hmm. They didn't ask for anything. They weren't selling anything. They weren't trying to tell people about their farm. They just wanted people to know who they were. And so even those connections where you get to know the people on your street where you, you know, hold the door for people, as you begin to realize just what a difference you do make, just how much you do matter, then typically for me, I find it snowballs. I, I met a woman here recently in um, where I live because I volunteer on my city's environmental advisory committee. And she is a businesswoman and she's a jogger. And she started uh, noticing these big plastic sales signs that companies were putting out and abandoning. They were all on all these boulevards. And she started collecting them because she just thought it was ugly. And then after she collected them, she realized they weren't recyclable because she tried to have to take them to the local recycling facility and they wouldn't take them. So she ended up at the Environmental Advisory Committee talking about how to reduce the use of these signs and to at least require that they're recyclable. And she never saw herself as an activist. And she certainly wasn't going to becoming this, you know, recycling and waste reduction guru. But that's that's what she had become. And there's a momentum to realizing that the power that we have. And I think that that momentum tends to also can it, it, it inspires other people. And I think what's also inspirational is reminding people that ordinary things are beautiful and really important. There's this kind of idea right now, I think, in the world that everything has to be extraordinary. We all have to play big. We all have to be these high achievers. And not everybody wants to do that. And I don't think everybody should be required to. I think that there's a beauty in deeply respecting and um, being aware of ordinary things and celebrating those ordinary things. When when I'm a when I'm a patient mother, when I sit down and listen to my daughter Ruby or my son Noah when they want to tell me a story, when when I truly listen and I'm not distracted, that that's a, a huge expression of my activism is my ability to just focus on them. And you know, you get these you know, feelings of power and reward as you as you do these simple, beautiful things. You realize how important you are and you realize how important you are to others. And I think that that connection piece is um, can't be underestimated. Yeah, and it sounds like you're you're assuming that if we can acknowledge what we've done and acknowledge the impact that that can generate more energy and, and what you're calling momentum towards more action. Well, yeah, I almost feel like to me what I was talking, you know, when I was thinking about this idea of, uh, you know, this defining all um, all of us as activists it's really about um celebrating the ordinary and celebrating the ordinary actions we do so that we're more aware of them and we can make them kinder and we can make them better for the planet because that's where um 
not everybody is going to drop a banner from a building or run for office or go viral on YouTube. There are a lot of people who are in this world who, um, if they're fortunate, are, um, are putting food on the table for their families. They're making sure that their kids go to school. And, and there's a lot of people in this world that don't even have that a, a privilege right now. And uh, to me, it's in, in that space, realizing that those simple things are incredibly important and that awareness of what we do with our days and the ordinary things we do with our days makes us more powerful. And um, it makes us more able to influence um, the people, whether it's politicians or corporations, because we realize the power we have to influence them, because they're there to serve us. We're not here to serve corporations and we're not here to serve governments. They're here to serve us. And when people start to get that sense, I think that, um, it creates a seismic shift. If you're willing, I want to come back to this activism for parents area. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm a parent. I know a lot of parents. I'm sure there are some parents listening to this. And I love that you come at this from really respecting the, uh, the version of reality that we all have, which can be very different. So what are some of the common ways that you see activism for parents, um, even on their on the rough days? Well, I, I think the first thing would be um, a, a deep sense of self-forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We all have bad <laughs> days as parents. And when I initially started getting involved with coaching, I, I took a parent coaching certification yeah. because I thought I found parenting to be the most challenging thing I'd ever done. And I had thought, oh, you know, I've sat in trees for three days. I've gone to jail. How hard can this be? <laughs> right? <laughs> Which of course your children disabuse you of immediately. And, uh, and, I found that I was quick, quick to anger. I got easily frustrated. Um, I found I found myself not being that crunchy granola, perfect mom that I thought this image I had in my head. And so the first thing um, that I would I would love for all parents to do is to really bust this myth of the perfect parent. There aren't there aren't perfect parents. Your children just want you as flawed and and messed up as each of us are they they just want our presence and um when we when we have a good day um and we're patient and we're attentive and you know we feel like we've done that you know every now and then you have that mom or dad day where you're like i've rocked this mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know those days you celebrate them and the days that that um you're not present or you're frustrated or you're tired or you um you disconnect from them you mess things up then you forgive yourself so that then you can reconnect with them and to me now um what i noticed more and more is rather than this trying to be a good mom which i did for a long time is this idea of you know i had to make sure the food was organic and that it was the best school and that you know like uh, i had to make sure that they were only spending a nanosecond on screens because it was going to rot their brains and all of these things <laughs> I, I realize that, um, as everybody says, a lot of these old adages are true. Um, they were watching who I, who I, the, the saying is, who I be. Who am I being in the world? That's what they're learning from. 
they're they're not learning from me telling them that screen you know too much screen time is bad or they should eat their vegetables they they learn their their deepest learning from me is watching how i am and how i operate in the world and so one of the things that my kids know i do is that um, if somebody stops us and asks for help, and of course, as long as it's safe and it, you know, fortunately for us, it's always been safe, but I help right away. So if somebody, um, uh, we had a woman once approach us who was older and carrying groceries and asked for a ride home, and I gave her that ride home. And when people ask um, for if, if they're uh, panhandling on the street and ask for money, I give them money. And my kids, and, I, and there's no strings attached to those uh, to those actions i um for me if if somebody asks me asks me for something and i can do it i will to help and my kids already understand they'll see see somebody coming and they'll say well this is somebody mommy's going to help and that's what's going to stick with them not whether i have you know mastered uh, organic cooking which i which I am a hopeless cook, so I hope they don't <laughs> judge me on that. <laughs> but really, it's 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 how I how I um, interact with others and with the planet. And I think the other thing that I, I don't want to miss is the ability um, to be joyful. It's very easy, and I um, I have a lot of friends in in the environmental movement who are really grief stricken, and they're uh, you know they're grief stricken. Um, whether it's about climate change or, you know, there are people grief stricken about the political situation in the U.S. and beyond. Um, and that grief is, is completely appropriate. Uh, but I feel like we really have to demonstrate that there's still a lot, a lot of joy. And to be able to really celebrate all this beauty and this joy that's here. Because um, I don't want to leave my children um, completely sensitized to the bad things that are happening and unable to see things that are really good. So, and a lot of those um, good and joyful moments are again, um, the simple, the ordinary moments. And so that's another gift I want to give my kids. But the, in terms of parenting, I, I just would be so delighted if people, every parent or anybody who is in children's lives and you know helping raise children, just give themselves a break. Um, it's none of us are perfect. We're all doing our best. And um, if we can just be if we're kinder to ourselves, we're going to be kinder to our children. And I think that's one of the things they really need. So if people want to get connected um, with your work and if they want to actually express some activism by supporting you, what else do you have going on and, and where should they check you out? Um, well, I, I'm delighted that you'll be providing these links so I don't have yeah. to drive everybody yeah. uh, everywhere. But um, I'd be delighted if people checked out my, my TEDx talk on the world needs a new definition of activism because the reason that, um, that I put my heart and soul into doing that TEDx talk was so that people could share it and talk about it. And um, I had somebody contact me a couple of days ago and say they, um, they used my TEDx talk to show at a senior's home for people that were looking for ways to volunteer. And I thought that, that, that was just music to my ears. Yeah. So people 
um, being able to check out my TEDx talk. And if it speaks to them to share it with somebody else that it might touch and inspire and, and people can find me, um, uh, on Facebook or uh, at my website. And I do, I come out and do, I do speaking engagements. I do coaching and mentoring. And I, um, I also just love, um, being able to connect with people, whether that's virtually or by phone, just, just to share these ideas. I think that, um, connecting is, is one of the biggest gifts of being able to do this work. I love that. That's been a theme throughout everything you've said today is that connection, especially with some intentionality behind it can, mm. can be a form of uh, change and activism. It's, it's, it's seismic when you think, you know, honestly, it's a, it's a simple thing to think, but think if everyone in North America decided that we would coach all of our actions in kindness, there was a law that came down that was stronger than the, the, you know, the constitution or, you know, the charter rights and freedoms that we acted out of kindness in our political policy, in our environmental decisions, um, in the way that we treated people in our community. Uh, that would change everything. And I think that it is being aware that um, these simple shifts in being able to see that how we, how we behave, how we act, how what we choose to do, what we choose to buy, how we choose to treat others, those are really easy things to do that really do change the world. I think that the last thing that is, um, it really is, I think there's an element of, of being able to have fun with this. I know I talked yeah. about it in my talk, but um, I, I do know a lot of, and I have been one of those grim faced activists, right? That was, you know, always here with the bad news. Um, now I never, I never was that way for long because I just am fortunate to have that happy gene. I was a happy kid. I was a happy adolescent. I'm, you know, like I'm a happy, I'm a happy woman at 52. Mm. But, um, but I think that, um, at being able to, uh, inject some joy and fun into the things that we do, if you're going to be a volunteer, if you're going to go and speak to people, um, being able to do that, uh, in a way that, um, that makes people laugh. Laughter is really subversive. And and I I once um, was at uh, a community input meeting for a forest management plan, and someone who you know was ostensibly on the other side came up and said, you know, you present what I think are really radical ideas, but you're just so damn nice and funny. I can't help but listen to you. Mm. <laughs> and I thought to myself, right, like that's now I talk about being a subversive hockey mom, right? Like mm. I I. My son's in hockey. My daughter is, you know, a, a creative rebel. She won't belong to any team because she doesn't want anybody telling her what to do. Mm. And, uh, but, you know, I, I'm out here um, living as a hockey mom and driving my kids to school and, um, and doing a lot of things that I used to think were really normal and that I would never do. But I do them. Um, I, I'm blessed to be doing them now. And I do them with great joy. And when I meet somebody who thinks very differently than me, I, um, I connect with them through um, being kind and being funny. And I think that laughter is really um, unappreciated for how subversive and change-making it actually is. So I know you're not going to come at this from a, a critical place. Um, so just kind of reorder my, my words to fit in, in what works for you. 
but as as we've touched on and as as I know you're aware of, this is a really explosive time in the U.S. for activism. A lot of people are being mobilized, right? Like you said earlier, if there was one thing, like if you had if you had the the ear of everybody who's energized in this country to to make some positive change, if there's one thing you could say, hey, just do this instead of this, and you'll see a big change. Would it be about joy, or, or is there something else that that you would advise? I think that it would be um, to set aside the idea of feeling right and be willing to um, sit down and have conversations with people who um, we consider to be on the other side and be willing to deeply listen to them. Uh, I think that 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 alone would would change everything because I think that at this point in particularly whether it's uh, the U.S. political uh, challenges that there are now is is this idea that um, you're either on you're either with me or you're against me, and that has poisoned our ability to collaborate. And to me, one of the biggest things that I would suggest to people who are are active and on the front lines is is to um, to make sure that they nourish and feed themselves um, with um, appreciation and community, and to be willing to step out of what they know and what they think they know and sit down and speak to others that um, that they do consider to be um, from a different perspective or to be from a perspective that they oppose. Because I think that that's um, where we can learn. And I think that it's we're going to be, we're being forced to go there. Because now we have governments right now that can't go there, that they there's very little collaboration. There's very little bipartisan movement happening in the states. Luckily, in Canada, we certainly have um, more of that bipartisanship here. But there's a similar there, those echoes are being heard around the world. And I think that it's incumbent upon us to lead that. We have to be able to hear what people are saying and um, and understand uh, why they disagree with us. It may not lead to any solution, but in doing that, it's part of the solution. In just being able to hear somebody's opinion that isn't yours and agree to disagree. Agreeing to disagree is part of the solution. It's just that ability to be able to come together because there are times where you find really unexpected common ground. So that that would be my wish is that people would be able to sit down right and wrong and be able to really listen to people from a variety of different vantage points, because that's the only way we're going to solve these challenges we have. Mm. Is there any question that you wish to be asked? Oh, you know what? I think that. um, I think that what I wondered about myself is how I um, got into, um, uh, leapt into getting arrested, leapt into uh, direct action when I became an activist. And, um, you know, I wondered how I ended up uh, on those front lines, on that, you know, what people thought of as extreme or fringe. And it was an expression of love. And I didn't realize that at the time. But I really thought to myself, these things mean so much to me that I need to put myself physically out there um, to take a stand. 
And at the time, it felt really angry, but I see it now and realize how deeply I cared about these issues and um, that it came from a place of love rather than a place of anger. And that was a real surprise to me. So even in your act, your more forceful activism days and being arrested, you recognized that you were coming from love. That was a big insight. Yeah, it was yeah. a big insight because it's really easy to be angry. Yeah. And um, when you realize that how much you love, like, you know, I always knew how much I loved animals, loved, loved wilderness, loved the, uh, the planet that we're on, loved people. And I really have an abiding delight in all people. I find them fascinating and wonderful. And uh, um, for, for me, there was this fury that I felt about um, the way that we were um, damaging the planet and treating people unfairly. And um, that was really simple. Um, when you realize how much is motivated by love, that's where you feel that grief. And we have to be able to deal with that, to, to meet that grief and sit with it. And be okay. It's okay to be sad right now. It's okay to be heartbroken. And you can sit with that for a while, and then we need you to get up and, and act with us. But um, I think that people avoid um, that feeling of love because they're afraid of how, um, of how difficult that grief piece is. And it is. But it's, uh, it's, it's part of being here. And I think that um, uh, when we're able to embrace and normalize the fact that we feel sad about what's going on, that we feel really overwhelmed, then we can get to work. So we've been speaking with Leanne Mallet, uh, coach, TEDx speaker, mother, partner, and activist in the world. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing, and thanks for being here with me today. Oh, thank you so much, Desi. It was just wonderful. To learn more about Leanne's work, check out leannemallet.com. To access her TEDx talk on the new activism, head to leannemallet.com slash TED. My question of the day is this. What is one thing you did for someone else recently that you could now frame as activism? To find out more about the world of Supergivers, head over to supergivers.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, click on the podcast link and send in an application. If you'd like to practice giving towards this show, please tell someone you know to listen in or consider subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play. That's all for today. Thanks for listening and maybe even subscribing to the Supergivers podcast, where we celebrate ordinary people creating extraordinary impact in the world. I'm your host, Jesse Johnson, and I hope you'll pass the giving along. Thank you.